In this video, we're going to be talking about the filioque, and this is the dividing line between Catholics and Orthodox. It is a huge issue, or at least that's what some Orthodox will tell you, even though it's really not that much of an issue because... Even the Orthodox across the board can't agree with each other on this and many other topics as well. I mean, some uh, Orthodox think that it's complete all-out heresy, meaning like not just heresy, but one of the worst heresies in the history of the church. Like they're kind of the fringe. But then on the other side, you have people who say it's not heresy at all. There are many Orthodox who say that it's not heresy. And there are Orthodox bishops and priests who say that it's not heresy. And they say that it's a non-issue. I've heard Orthodox priests say that it's really a non-issue. And I know others still who say that it's not heresy, but they don't think that it should be attached to the creed. It shouldn't be part of the creed. So in this video, we're going to be talking about Catholics and Orthodox and this specific issue, the dividing line, many of the problems that some of them have, and the real truth behind this issue. Not what many of the fundamentalist Orthodox apologists online are telling you, but the truth about it. Hello everyone, my name is Brian Mercier, President of Catholic Truth, and I'm so excited that you are here with us today. We want to help you to know your faith, love your faith, and live your faith. Catholic Truth is a place where anyone, anytime, from anywhere can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. Check out our social media down below and make sure to follow us. So many Orthodox don't think this is an issue. Many Orthodox don't even have a problem with this especially since the Eastern churches were in full communion with Rome and the Catholic Church from the earliest centuries when Rome was teaching this. I mean, this teaching goes back to the earliest days of Christianity. The early church fathers and East and West were combined as one and nobody had a problem with it. You didn't hear any stink about it, not a peep about it, because nobody had an issue with it. Nobody thought it was heresy. Nobody from East or West had an issue with it until the 8th century, probably the 9th century with Photius and the Photius Schism, which we'll get to in a second. And by the way, if you don't know what the Filioque is, that's where the Father, uh, Orthodox say that uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and the Catholic Church says uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Catholic Church has a much much deeper understanding of the Trinity itself and of the Holy Spirit. Due to this, um, much of the Orthodox theology has been a reactionary view against the Catholic Church in this regard, but uh, if you study the Trinity and procession and all of that, the Catholic Church has a very deep understanding of all of this that makes much more logical sense and doesn't have to get pigeonholed into different aspects of the Trinity, problematic aspects that you would have to hold uh, if you go down that route. Many Orthodox make this like the biggest thing that's ever been in the history of the Church, and the Catholic Church needs to get their act together, when in fact, it's not even an issue. I mean, they say that shouldn't be part of the creed. You added it to the creed. They're so stringent, and they make such a big stink about that being added to the creed, as if the Catholic Church hasn't added things to the creed before, or hasn't changed things to the creed before, or hasn't made amendments to creeds before. Of course they have. Do you know why? Because the Catholic Church has authority from Christ to make doctrine, to make the creeds, and to adjust them when necessary. You don't hear anything from 
uh, I was going to say Protestants, but Orthodox, sometimes it seems like the same thing. Sometimes uh, you don't hear anything from them about the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed and the addition of Homoousius. Nobody complains about that or adding or substantially to the Apostles' Creed that once was and making it a much longer Nicene Creed. They don't complain about that. They only seem to complain about this one issue and don't think it should be added to the creed. And it's not even an issue because the Eastern Catholic churches who are in communion with Rome have permission to drop this part from their creed. They don't have to pray it. So the Eastern Catholics don't actually have this as part of their creed, whereas the West does. So really, it's a non-issue. If the Orthodox came back to the Catholic Church and came back into full communion with Rome, they would not have to have this as part of their creed. So when they say it shouldn't be part of the creed, well, you don't have to have it as part of your creed. The Eastern churches don't have it. So really, again, it's a non-issue in that regard. And again, the Eastern churches were all in communion with Rome when Rome was teaching this. I mean, from the earliest days of Christianity, the early church fathers taught this. I mean, big hitters, like the biggest of hitters, like St. Athanasius, St. Augustine, among others, were teaching the Filioque. And very overtly, by the way, I mean, it was even in the Athanasian Creed, okay? And it wasn't just in the Athanasian Creed, it was in other creeds as well, and we've been praying it since the earliest days that way. And yet, not a peep from anybody. Nobody cared. Nobody said anything, because it wasn't even an issue until, like, eight centuries later, again with Photius. Now, even some Orthodox scholars admit this. They admit that even by the 6th century, it was universally accepted in the West, in the Catholic Church, the 6th century. Everybody in the West pretty much was praying this, or I should say saying this, in the creeds. So it was pretty much universal in the West. And the East had no problem with it. They didn't say anything with it. They were in full communion, they knew it, and they had no problems with it. Now, if some Orthodox apologists and priests are going to say, oh no, Rome was in heresy, and very bad heresy, then they're saying things like Augustine was a heretic, Athanasius was a heretic. Now, these are things that I don't think they would claim, but that's exactly what they're saying. And other church fathers as well, these were all heretics. And the Eastern churches were in communion with heretics, serious, big heretics. That is what they're saying. And I don't know if anybody would go down that road to say St. Augustine or Athanasius or any of these other people were actually heretics, much less big heretics of the worst kind. Moreover, there were ecumenical councils before the schism that happened between East and West, and both the East and West were there. Nobody said anything ever about the Filioque. Nobody raised an objection to it. Nobody made a peep about it. Nobody in the East said anything, even at ecumenical consuls. And you think they would, because if this was such a huge heresy, nobody would put up with it. The early church fathers, the earliest Christians, they stamped out heresy everywhere they found it. And if anyone considered this heresy, which they did not, you would have heard about it, but you didn't hear about it because nobody considered it heresy. Even popes spoke out on this and even sent letters to the East about it. And again, nobody complained. So you're probably wondering, okay, then when did the controversy happen? When did this all start? How did the big hubbubaloo happen between the East and the West regarding this? And that comes down to the man, the devious, skeevy man named Photius, who 
ended up starting the Photius Schism. That's what we call it, the Photius Schism, because he created the schism in the church, which would eventually lead to the ultimate schism a couple hundred years later. But Photius left the church, and eventually he came back in the full communion with the church. Now, if he thought this was heresy, and the East thought this was heresy, and it was a huge heresy, like, you can't be in communion with heretics— why did he come back into full communion with the Pope? Why did the East come back into full communion with the Pope? So eight centuries later, this shows that the Orthodox changed their mind on the topic because it was a non-issue before. Nobody cared. Nobody thought it was heresy. And then suddenly, somebody thought it was heresy. They changed their mind on the issue, not us. And how did this happen? Photius was a scholar. He was brilliant. He became a patriarch eventually in the East, and even though he was brilliant, he was also skeevy, he was also devious, he was dubious, I might even say evil in some ways. I mean, he created a schism for crying out loud. When the Pope sent letters to the East, he changed all the letters before giving them to the patriarchs and the bishops and the people over there. He changed the letters. I mean, who does that unless you're super devious? He was removed from his office twice. I mean, this just tells you a little bit about who he is. I mean, Warren Carroll, in his sixth volume set on the history of Christianity, goes into a deep dive on the Photius Schism, and it's, it's very interesting, actually. But he's the first one to make a big stink about it, and he's the first one to raise his voice about it. When he found out that the West was praying it, and reciting it and believing in it, he had a tizzy fit. I mean, he just let loose and just opened his mouth and just vented hostility toward the Pope, toward the West, toward Rome, toward everyone. He basically said that they were like the worst people and should not even, not only not have it in their creeds, but they shouldn't be believing this at all. It's not really our intention to go into the schism here, but just long story short, a whole war ensued between the East and the West, and he even tried to condemn the Pope. He tried to condemn all of Rome, the whole Western Church. I mean, he was trying to take it all down with him, even though nobody before him had a problem. And part of the problem of his problem is that he didn't have a full understanding of the filioque from the Western point of view. He had only limited information and misinformation about what the West believed. But a lot of the evil and rebellion between the East and Rome, that's where it started was here. And that's the tragic part of it is that he didn't even have access to all of the information. He didn't even have correct information, which is probably why it sounded bad to him. And this whole thing could have been settled if he had the full updated correct information on it in the first place. But the bottom line is eventually he came to his senses and eventually he came back into full communion with Rome and the Catholic Church and they were one again. There was one church. Now, he never ever would have come back into the union with the Catholic Church if, number one, it was heresy and if, number two, he understood what it was in the first place. Because it's not heresy. I mean, everybody knows that it's not heresy. It's biblical and it's historical. Now, many Orthodox apologists uphold 
Photius as if he's Jesus himself. I mean, they love him. They say, oh, well, the Catholic Church was teaching heresy. And then a man named Photius finally came out and took care of the Catholic Church and called out their heresy. And same Protestant arguments. It's literally the argument that Protestants make that the Catholic Church was teaching heresy. And finally, Luther came out and saved them and called out the Catholic Church for its heresy. And God waited 15 centuries to make this happen. And God waited eight centuries to make this happen. It just doesn't make sense. Yes, sometimes we put things in our creeds or, you know, make it doctrine or dogma at certain points, but it was believed long before then. Like many Marian doctrines were uh, codified at some point in place in history. And some Protestants will say, well, see, the Catholic Church invented the Assumption in 1956, or they invented the Immaculate Conception in 1871, or blah, blah, blah. When in fact, the Catholic Church believed these things back to the earliest Christians, but it was never doubted before then, and therefore it never needed to be codified or put into doctrine or dogma before then because it wasn't doubted. Same thing with the Trinity. People like the Trinity wasn't invented until the Council of Nicaea in 325, when in fact it was believed long before 325. It was just made official at 325 because that's the first time it was doubted. And the Catholic Church has done this down through history and has the authority to do this down through history. She has the authority to do these things. I don't think that's something that some Orthodox understand. In some ways, I feel like they're very much like Protestant. They have a very much Protestant mindset. The church can't. The church can't. The church can't. Yes, the church can. And the church always has. That's why we've always had the authority to have ecumenical councils, whereas the Orthodox churches, ever since they broke away, they haven't had even one because they don't have the authority to do so. And when they have problems in their churches, they don't have any way to solve them because they have no central authority. And they have major issues and schisms going on as we speak with no way to solve them. So to summarize, when Orthodox claimed that this was a novelty of the 9th century, or some say the 11th century, it was not a novelty because it goes back to the earliest Christians and has always been taught. This is very important for anyone who cares about church history and the teaching of the church. Second, is the filioque heresy? No, it's not, because it's always been taught in the church, and majority of all Christians throughout all history Nobody says it's heresy, except for some Orthodox, not even all Orthodox. And we read in John 14, 26, that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, of course, we believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, obviously. But we don't uh, agree that he proceeds and must only proceed from the Father alone. In John 15, 26, Jesus himself says, When the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness for me. So notice that Jesus specifically says, he proceeds from the Father, which we all agree with. But he also says that I shall send you the Holy Spirit, meaning that Christ can send the Spirit to the Father and the Son. Likewise, Jesus goes on to say that, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. So again, John 16, 7. He says again that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is sending the Spirit, even though it ultimately comes from the Father and the Son. So it's it can be both, and it doesn't have to have this rigid understanding that it's only from the Father alone, as some Orthodox claim. 
Lastly, in Revelation 22, and this you can find in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, it says it's talking about the Holy Spirit who is seen as the river of life, and obviously the life of God. And the Bible verse in Revelation 22.1 says this, that he showed me the river, the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And again, that's Revelation 22.1. So there's multiple scriptures in the Bible that attest to the Holy Spirit coming from the Father, but also coming from the Father and the Son. So this is not heresy. Again, even many Orthodox uh, know that it's not heresy. I might even say a large number of Orthodox don't think it's heresy. Even though they don't think it should be added to the creed, they know that it's not heresy. So these real extremist fundamentalist apologists on the Orthodox side who are saying it's the worst heresy ever, they are in the very tiny, teeny-weeny minority down through history because nobody believed that. And there's so much more that I could say on this teaching, but I just wanted to give a little overview of the issue, of some of the disagreement, some of the things that people say, and I want you to know that it's not even a big issue in most people's minds. Even all of the Eastern Catholics who are part of the Eastern churches accept the filioque, and they're fine with it, even though they don't have it as part of their creed. And there have been a couple popes, I mean, all popes have accepted the filioque, but there have been a couple popes in history who also agreed that it shouldn't be part of the creed for various contextual reasons. But the bottom line is that pretty much everybody believes this, and it's really a non-issue, but some people are making it a huge issue. I mean, when I talk to Orthodox online, the whole reason the Catholic Church is evil and from Satan is because of the filioque, and that is just not accurate. And it's really kind of a huge hyperbole. It's an overreaction. It's a simplification. It's a, it's, I'm taking one thing that I want to be true because I want the Catholic Church to be wrong and I'm making it the main event. Even though there are bigger issues, we're making this the biggest one because it seems like an easy thing to attack. It's like the same thing Protestants do when they say, oh, well, Catholics worship Mary. Therefore, the Catholic Church is wrong and I'm comfortable being Protestant. Well, they don't even look into it. They don't even talk about it. They don't even understand it nor do they care to. And many of the Orthodox people who teach this haven't actually studied the issue. And I really want to challenge you to go back and read the early fathers, to go back and read the earliest councils, to read the papal statements that he even sent to the East, and many other things. Study the history on this, and you will see that it's not what some Orthodox apologists and priests are making it out to be. Thank you so much for watching this video today. We really appreciate it, and we really hope this has helped to clarify this topic, and we hope that you will help us by sharing it and putting it on your social media platforms, sharing it with people you know, and uh, with pretty much everybody you know. Please also like and leave a comment. We would love to know what you have to say. We'd love to know your comments, as long as they're respectful and loving. And if you would like to join our family and our team, Help us to grow, help people out there to get the truth that sets them free. Please support our ministry on PayPal and Patreon below. And lastly, please follow us if uh, on social media if you would like to. And if you would like a Catholic speaker, check out our website at catholictruth.org. God bless you all.